All right. While they receive the offering, go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Um, we are going to jump around a little bit today, um, but you're going to still want a Bible. So if you didn't bring one, there's a blue one underneath the seat you're sitting in. You can reach down there. You can grab that blue Bible. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1 is where we're going to be this morning. And in case you uh, need help, Genesis chapter 1 is on page 1. There you go. Yeah, you guys know. The front row knows. Genesis chapter 1, page 1. We'll bounce around a little bit. Um, but we should be able to follow along pretty easily. Genesis chapter 1. So we are going to continue our series on heaven this morning. We've been preaching through uh, this series on heaven the past few weeks here at Flourishing Grace, right? And we've been kind of getting a little bit deeper each week. So the first week we just talk about how heaven matters. The more we can kind of understand and mentally see the coming glory and beauty of heaven, the more it changes our lives now. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we act. It influences every area of our lives as heaven becomes more and more and more clear to us. Last week, Benjer talked about the present heaven, right? For our loved ones who are in Christ, they, they've submitted their lives to His rule and reign. They have submitted all things to Him. They cling to Him. He is their hope. He is their salvation. For our friends and our loved ones who are in Christ that have passed on, they have died in this life. Their eyes awake to the glory of Christ. They're taken away to a place where He is. But that's not the place where we will always be. That's not the place where we will always be. Or there's something coming. When Christ returns, here's what, I want, here's what I want to deal with this morning. If you, have a, if you have pen and paper, or maybe just your phone, you can use your phone. I want to ask you a question. I want you to write down your answer, okay? Two questions, actually. All right? If you're like that person that's like, I ain't doing anything that anybody on stage tells me to do. That's fine. Uh, you, can, you can just put it in your mind, all right? You can't get it on me out of your head, all right? Listen, if you have a pen and paper or you have a phone, here's, I want you to write down the, question, the answer to this question, okay? When Christ returns, where are we going? When Christ returns, where are we going? Just a word, two words, three words, whatever you want to do. Just, when Christ returns, where are we going? Got it? Okay. Some of you still working. When Christ returns, where are we going? And the second question is this. In that place, who will rule there? Who will reign? Who will rule? Who will possess that place? Who will have dominion over it? Got it? Some of you are still working. Okay, I'll give you time. All right, that's what, those are the two questions that I want us to work through this morning. Man, where are, where are we going? When Christ returns, when Christ returns, where are we going, right? There is a present place where people die, right? You think of the thief on the cross, right? Today you will be with me in paradise. But Scripture is clear that when Christ returns, everything changes. Everything changes. We're going to see that this morning, right? But then who's going to reign in that place? Who's going to rule in this eternal home that, that Christ is preparing for us? What is that going to be like? Who's going to rule and reign there? That's what we're going to wrestle through. But in order to understand God's future plan, where we're going, eternal plan of God, we must look back at His original plan. God had a, an original plan. He didn't just flippantly create the world. He didn't flippantly create the universe. It's like, you know what? I'm bored today. I got nothing better to you. Universe. That's not what happened. 
He had intent and a plan in place. There was, there was a plan that was to be implemented for his creation. We see that in Genesis 1. And so for those of you who opened up your Bibles, let's go there. Genesis 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 26. Uh, God has created the heavens, the, the planets, the moons, the stars, the, the earth, and everything in it. And he's about to create man. He's going to create man and woman, okay? This is what he says in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. There's the Trinity, right? That's why it's plural. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now here it is. Verse 28 is the plan. This is the plan. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it and have, what's the word? Dominion over it, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Right? Fill it, subdue it, dominion over it. That's it. Fill it, subdue it, dominion over it. The plan of God at the beginning of time, when he creates heaven, when he creates earth, when he creates heaven, heaven being the universe, right? When it says heaven here, it's talking about stars, moon, galaxy, planets. When he creates the universe, when he creates the earth, the plan is that men and women, righteous men and women, created, shaped, and molded in his image. Let us create man in our image. After our likeness, created in his righteous and holy image, would fill the earth. That we would procreate, that we would make more righteous men and women. And that those righteous men and women, as we fill the earth, as we're filling, we would subdue. We'd create order, right? That we would, that we would govern and have order over the earth. And that we'd have dominion, right? Dominance. That we would be the crown jewel of the creation. That we would be the ones who rule and reign here on earth with God. That righteous men and women would rule and reign over what is ultimately his. His creation would be ruled by us. That's the original plan. That was the original plan of God. He creates this thing. It says later, a few verses later, that it's, God looks over, in verse 31, God looks over everything he created. Every planet, every star, every galaxy, every tree, every bush, every flower, every shrub, every animal, every bird, every fish, every blade of grass. And he says, it's very good. It's very good. An infinitely good God, beautiful in every way, infinitely beautiful, infinitely majestic, infinitely wonderful, says, this thing that I just made, legit, is good. Like this, if he says it's good, it's like beyond our understanding of good. It's so good. He says, here, yours, righteous men and women, fill it, subdue it, dominion over it. Go. That's the plan. Go. Now we know the story, right? If you've spent any time in church at all, right? Like you didn't have to go, grow up in church knowing what happens. Genesis chapter 3, right? The serpent shows up. 
the serpent shows up. You can flip there if you want. Genesis 3, the serpent shows up and he tempts Eve, he tempts the woman into doing the one thing that they're told not to do. That you cannot eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Just don't, don't do it. God says, this thing is mine. All of this, dominion. This, mine. You rule here, this one thing. Nah, don't touch that. The serpent shows up. The serpent says, man, surely you won't die. God knows your eyes will be open and you will be like God. That is the lie that every person who has ever been born ever has fallen into. That we can some way, shape, or form be like God. You will never be like him ever. Never have been, never will be. That's the lie of Satan from the very beginning. But of course, we know the story. Eve eats from the tree, seeking this desire to be like God, to have the glory, to have the fame, to have the power, to have the control, to have the renown. She eats from the tree, convinces her husband to do the same. And in an instant, in a moment, we see this unraveling of the fabric of creation. What was very good unravels instantly. Right? God is walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. He's looking for man, and man is where? hiding. He's hiding in the trees. Listen, hide and seek with God. Bad idea. Okay? God and Bigfoot. Undefeated hide and seek champions. Okay? Bigfoot's never been able to be found. God has been able to find anybody. Ever. Alright? It's, it's, it's just dumb. But they're hiding in the trees. They're hiding from him. Like, oh my gosh. Because they're naked and they're shamed. God says, who told you you're naked? Instantly, we see this unraveling of creation. We see shame enter in. Every single one of us in this room at some point in time in our life, we have felt shame. We have done something. We've hurt someone that we love. We've, got, we've wronged someone that we care for. We have felt shame, embarrassment. They'd never known that feeling before. It wasn't meant to be that way. But we instantly see this unraveling of what was very good is no longer very good. But not only does creation unravel because of sin, God lays a curse on the plan. Okay, creation unravels. But the plan, verse 28, is now, in chapter 128, is now cursed in chapter 3. Let me show you real quick. I'm just going to show you the man and the woman. He curses the serpent as well. We'll preach on that another day. We have preached on it before. We'll preach on it again. Look at verse 16 in chapter 3. This is what he says to the woman. This is what God, this is the curse on the woman. To the woman, he, God said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. Now I know it's Mother's Day. Can I get an amen, ladies? All right. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Here's what he says to, to the women. Remember, this is what I want you to see. Remember the plan. What's step one of the plan? Fill the earth. How are we going to do that? Okay, I know it's an awkward question, but where do babies come from? <laughs> How are we going to fill it? We're going to procreate. We're going to have children. God says, in you, in you is going to be this hunger, this, this unsatisfiable desire to fill the earth because that's my plan. That's what you're designed for. That's what you're created for. But now it's going to bring you pain. And now, mom's in the room. Like, it's, just, it's crazy. It's crazy, right? That we, that we know, we know this thing is going to be unbelievable. Unbelievably painful, but we're like, you know what? I think I want to do that. 
I, I think I want to, I think I want to. There's something in us. The plan is written into our hearts, this desire to, to fill the earth. But God says, that's going to be painful for you. It's going to bring you misery. To, to fulfill the plan is going to bring you misery. Look at the next piece. He says, he says listen, you, the, the plan is that men and women, men and women would have dominion. That they would have dominion over the earth. But then God says, no, 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 now, now you're cursed. The plan is cursed. You're going to desire. You're going to desire that dominion. But I'm pitting you against your husband. He's not going to share it with you. He's going to rule over you. Now, some of you in the room are like, not my husband. Not ruling over me. That's not happening in my house. Listen, just think about it for a second. Just think about it for a moment. Think about the history of women in this world. Think about the history of women for the past 5,000 years. Who has ruled over them? It's written into the curse. It's written into the curse. It's sinful. It's broken. I'm not saying it's right. It's not right. It's not good. This is why as followers of Jesus, we war against it. We fight for the equal care and love and affection towards women. We, we fight for that. We fight that, that young girls might be treated well and right. It's not okay. But I'm telling you, the church will fight that until Christ returns because it's written to the curse. We're not going to win that battle. He is. It's written in the curse. It'll never be fully right until he writes it. It's in the curse. We want dominion. You're not going to have it. Then he turns to the man in verse 17. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you. You shall eat of the plants of the fields. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you have returned. Fellas, listen. Are there any men in the room who just, when it comes to just life in general, you, you just kind of, there's something in you that's just kind of unsatisfied. You just may, maybe just want just a little bit more of something. If I could just get this, if I could just work a little bit harder, if I could just make a little bit more money, if I could just afford to, to have this retirement plan, if I could just afford to have this house, if I could just afford to get my family to this place, if I could just, if I could just have a little bit more dominion, if I could just subdue things in my life a little bit more. It's written in the plan. The plan is in you. To subdue and have dominion, to rule and to reign, to have satisfaction from subduing and finding dominion. If I could just, if I could just be a, a little bit higher on the ladder, if I could have more people underneath me at work, that would satisfy. If I could just make a little bit more money, that would satisfy. If I could just rule and have dominion. And we work and we work and we work and we work. We, we know this. Doesn't matter who you are. Right, we all know the guy who's kind of just down here on the ladder, just working so many unbelievable hours trying to provide for his first family. Just food and shelter, just working his tail off. And if, if I could just get to this level, if I could just be, be a supervisor, if I could just be a manager, if I could just be a boss, if I could just get up a little bit higher, but he never does. He just dies poor. But then we know the guy that's born with like the silver spoon in his mouth. 
just from the day he's born, just wealth and prosperity. But is he satisfied? Never. Always longing for more. Always desiring greater dominion. Always wanting, wanting things in his life to be subdued. But they never are. And he dies unsatisfied. It's written into the curse. It's the plan. The plan is in you. There's this desire to, to subdue and have dominion. But it will never happen for you. You'll never get there. It never has for any man ever. We need Christ to write that for us. This is the plan. And the plan goes badly. Now, our human assumption, this is, this is what we do from this point. So most people in the world, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, kind of know that part of the story. Creation, fall. We get that. Now, maybe you don't know the details of this idea of like the plan being within us, this desire being within us, and that plan being cursed. Maybe that's new to you, right? But we know the creation fall. We, we, we get that. Um, but he, here's what we do from here. We make an assumption when we teach our kids this, right? That now, now God's plan is a rescue plan. It's a rescue mission, right? Christ is going to come to rescue us. And when he returns, he's going to come and he's going he's to swoop in. He's going to pull us out of this broken and marred creation that we've jacked up. He loves us, so he's going to take us out of it. He's going to take us to some better place. This like spirit realm celestial goodness. Like, that's where we're going. It's going to be this kind of angelic, beauty, wondrous, weird place, right? A few weeks ago in our small groups, the first question was, man, when you were a kid, what do you think uh, heaven was like? My wife was like, Care Bears. Care Bears stare, right? We're going to float around in clouds. There's going to be like, there's going to be like rainbows, but there's slides. It's going to be amazing, right? Um, the problem with that idea is the Bible. The Bible just doesn't say that. You see, from Genesis to Revelation, what the Bible says is God is ferociously passionate about his plan. He's ferociously passionate about, about this original plan, that righteous men and women would rule over what is ultimately his. All the, prop, the prophets of old spoke of it again and again and again. They whispered it into time. Jesus spoke about it. The New Testament leaders of the church wrote about it. God has pressed this into us again and again and again and again. Look at Daniel 7. If you've got your Bibles, you can flip to Daniel 7. If not, it'll be up here on the screen for you. Daniel has this vision of Christ coming and restoring this broken kingdom that is now under the rule of Satan. It says this in Daniel 7, 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold... With the clouds of heaven, there came one, that's, that's the sky, not, not a place where God is present, but the sky. That From the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, a human. He came to the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom. that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Here's what Daniel says. He says, man, I saw one like the Son of Man, a human being, 
coming before God, the Ancient of Days, coming before the Father, and the Father saying, listen, here's the plan. You are going to restore the dominion. You are going to restore the creation, the kingdom. And for you, it's just glory, right? The first Adam failed. We need another Adam. We need another Adam, someone who can be the righteous one, someone who can step in and restore what we, humanity, has broken. We need a human to come restore what we've broken, someone who can actually live righteously. So God himself clothes himself in flesh, becomes a man, and lives among us. Jesus comes to restore the kingdom, to win it back, to crush Satan, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler and the reigner here on earth. Jesus comes back and says, man, I'm going to crush him. I'm going to crush him. I'm going to win back the kingdom. And of that dominion, of that dominance, that level of dominance, there will be no end. And that kingdom, that kingdom that he establishes will live forevermore. But then this happens in verse 18. This is fascinating. Look at 18. But the saints, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's you, of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. And in case you don't know how long forever is, Daniel will let you know forever and ever. Forever. We will be possessors of this kingdom. Christ is going to come. He's going to win it back. He's going to defeat the power of Satan. He's going to defeat the curse that was laid on the plan, and he's going to reestablish the plan. What's the plan? Righteous men and women would fill, subdue, and have dominion over the earth, that they would rule and reign what is ultimately God's. That's the plan. And in case we're not sure, he goes on in verse 22 in Daniel 7, he says, Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. He says it again. It's like, well, I'm not sure if that's actually what he means. He says it again. It's going to be given back to his people, to righteous men and women. Now, where is this going to happen? Well, actually, before we get that, C.S. Lewis talks about this idea in his Chronicles of Narnia, right? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. C.S. Lewis unpacks this deep theology in a kid's story, right? Which is the, which is the beauty of the Chronicles of Narnia, right? That in this kind of light, fun, amazing, wondrous world that C.S. Lewis creates, he just impregnates it with just unbelievable theology, right? So, the, the, so in, in C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? The, they're in this land called Narnia, right? How many of you have read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? A lot of you, okay? What's the curse? Narnia is under a curse. What's the curse? It's always winter, never Christmas. It's just cold, it's dark unsatisfying, joyless. It's always winter. It's never Christmas. But there's a prophecy in the land of Narnia. Right? Mrs. Beaver tells the kids, tell, tells uh, Lucy and Edmund and, and the kids, she says, there's a, there's a prophecy in this land. And here's what the prophecy is. It says, down at Caerparabell, this great kingdom, this great city, the king, there are four thrones and it is a sane in Narnia time out of a mind that when two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve, that's human beings, sit on those four thrones, then it will be 
be the end. It'll be the end not only of the white witch's reign, but of her life. When Aslan, the lion, the king of kings, when he wins back the kingdom, when he crushes the white witch, humans will sit on the throne. And that will be the end of all suffering and all pain and all sorrow. And we will once again be returned to this beautiful plan of God. Now, where will that be? If we're going to rule and reign, where? Where, where, is this, where is this happening, right? I said earlier, right, we, we buy into this plan, this idea that we're going to be snatched away to some cosmic cloud-like realm of, of whateverness, right? No. No. Again, the prophets of old spoke of it. Isaiah, Isaiah 65, 17, this is God speaking through Isaiah. It says this, For behold, I, God, I create new heavens, new planets, new stars, new moons, new galaxies, and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. I'm going to create it all new. New beauty, new goodness, new like the plan is, is still there. I'm going to make it very good again. It's going to be very good again. Right? Jesus in Matthew 5, 5 says, The meek, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the, the earth. What good is that? The earth is broken. It's polluted. The air here is disgusting. You guys know this. You live in Bountiful in January. It's gross. Right? There are dictators and, and mass genocide. There's drugs and murders and thieving. Who wants this place? Nobody. It's not a gift. I'm going to make it new again. I'm going to make it very good. And it's going to be yours. They're going to inherit the earth. Peter talked about it. 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3.10 says this. Is, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away, right? The galaxies will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies, the planets, the moons, the stars will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. All of the wickedness, all of the brokenness, all of what is broken in this earth, everything that has been unraveled, like termites in the wall, just the, the drywall's ripped back and you can just see it. It's exposed and we can rid it, get rid of all of it. All everything that's broken will be removed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, here's what Peter says, what sort of people ought you to be in your lives of holiness and godliness? How should you live now? If that's going to happen, if that's coming down, like literally just dissolved, how should we live now? Should we crave those things? Should we live for those things, the things of this earth and things of this life? No waiting for and hastening the coming day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will, be, will melt away as they burn. But, listen to this, verse 13, according to His promise, the plan, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's coming. New heavens, new earth. That's the promise. That's the plan. And of course, I said this, the Bible talks about this all the way from Genesis to Revelation. So Revelation 21, kind of the, the most famous place of this. Revelation 21, 1. John writes, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, out of the sky from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Who's the husband? We are. We are. All right, Jesus says, in my house, my father's house, there's many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I've prepared this beautiful, splendorous, wonderful work, this new city coming down out of the heavens to earth for the husband, for us, for his people, for his saints. It's us. It's a gift for us. And here's the true gift. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Once again, we will walk with him in the cool of day. Once again, we will be reunited with him. He will be with us. It is not God snatching us out. It's God coming down to us. This is the beauty of creation. This is the wondrous works of his hands. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, and he is coming back with this new thing. Everything in the Word of God declares this. This is who he is. It's who he is. It's what he does. He is ferociously passionate about his plan. He hasn't scrapped it. He's just making it new. Look at the very next line in Revelation 21.5. The one on the throne says, I am making all things new. Every planet, every star, every moon, every tree, every blade of grass, new, good, righteous, holy, sweet, and satisfying. Listen, I don't know what your thing is, but as followers of Jesus, there's people in your life who just love Christ and have submitted their life to his rule and reign. All things are being made new for them. I don't, I don't know if it's cancer or Parkinson's or cystic fibrosis or heart disease. I don't know. But it won't be there. No more mourning. No more tears. No more pain. No more loss. No more loss. Imagine no loss. Imagine just being satisfied. Just for a moment being satisfied. This is not a moment. This is all eternity. He's bringing himself. This all-satisfying God is coming to be with us. And he is ferociously passionate about his plan that righteous men and women would rule over what is ultimately his forever. Forever. Now, here's what's staggering about this. You see, I've said it several times that we've messed this up in our minds, that in some way, shape, or form, creation is what's broken, right? So he needs to take us out of creation, right, so so that we can go someplace better than this. But think about it for a second. What does God's passion for his plan tell us about himself? If God is passionate about this plan, so passionate that he, he doesn't want to destroy it. He wants to make it new. He wants to make it good. He's passionate about the people who will possess it. It's for us. 
Like, that's staggering. Because the, the reality is, the reality is, is, is that if he's, going to, if he's going to destroy his creation, what is he going to do to those who have jacked it up? What is he going to do to you and me who have, who have ruined it, who have marred it, who have, who have sinned all over it? You see, if, if the first narrative is true that, that God is just disgusted with this creation, he's just like, scrap it, I'm done, new plan, what is he going to do to you? His passion for his plan, the passion for creation, just un- unveils his passion for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know that this did not come cheaply. The God of all things had to become a man, and he had to make you righteous once again. Not just, not, just make the, not just make a new earth and a new heaven. He had to make a new you. You had to be born again. You'd be made right. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He had to make you righteous. Not just a new heaven and a new earth. He had to make a new you. He had to be reborn, and it cost him everything. He had to go to the cross. The righteous one had to pay for all of your unrighteousness. And he, he is clothed in your sin as he is nailed to the cross so that he can clothe you in his own righteousness, that you might be made right again, that you might be worthy to have dominion over this kingdom. Now, some of you might, might be saying, man, back in Daniel 7, it said his dominion would never end. That dominion will never end. Think about it. For all time, there's nothing like the dominion of Christ. That dominance, he dominated. He came to earth. He dominated sin. He dominated shame. He's coming back. He's going to dominate the curse. For all eternity, he will be the hero of everything. He will sit in all eternity as the hero. But the kingdom, the kingdom will be passed on. The kingdom will never end, but it will not always be his. That might be a shock to some of you, but it's in the Bible. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says it this way. He says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For in Adam, the first Adam, all die. So also in Christ all should be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, Christ rises from the dead first. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Listen to this, verse 24. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every earthly rule and every authority and power, for he must reign, he must reign as king until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Christ is coming back, the ruling and reigning king who who has defeated sin, who has defeated the curse. He's coming back to crush Satan and to crush the the final enemy, to crush death. At that point, he's going to hand the kingdom back over to God. He's like, mic drop, done. Dominion forever. He gives it back to his father, and his father says, here, this is the original plan. Possess it. Possess it. Have dominion over it. Rule it and reign it. Now, some of you might be saying, man, what's that going to be like? 
Like, what are we going to do there? What does that mean to have dominion? What, are the, what is the place going to be like? What's the city going to be like? What's this, what are the plants and trees and animals going to be like? Next week. Next week. Let me do this. Let me pray for us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this morning we come before you and I pray that you would, that we, that you would help us to see that you, are, that you are passionate. You are passionate about your plan. It has not changed. We've jacked it all up, but you are renewing it. You're renewing it. The end goal is the same, that righteous men and women might rule and reign what is ultimately yours. Might we see what that costs you to make right what we've made wrong. Might we see what it costs you to to restore what we break every single day. May we stop taking advantage of it. Might every moment of our lives exist for a coming moment when you will return and God will descend to be with us forever. Might all the fleeting momentary joys and the momentary afflictions of this life become nothing compared to that eternal weight of glory. I pray these things in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus, amen.